This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Normal Tuesday, I might be talking about the Wild game that happened Monday night. I might be talking about the Twins game that was supposed to be played Monday afternoon, or maybe even the Timberwolves game where Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie, the new owners, were supposed to be in attendance for the first time. Instead, guess what? All three of those teams led the late sports center, but not for the right reasons. All those games were canceled, of course, postponed probably more aptly on uh, on Monday because of the police shooting of Dante Wright. I'll talk about those postponements with Lavelle E. Neal III, Star Tribune columnist, in just a little bit. Lavelle wrote a column that's in Tuesday's paper and on StarTribune.com about kind of what the teams were thinking, what their thought process was, and also some of his personal thoughts on where we are right now with this continuously intersecting world of sports and tragedy, unfortunately. That's the only way to put it, right? Because this is part of the playbook that's extended from last summer with the George Floyd killing, and there's a lot of emotional reaction right now. I want to share a few of the responses from around the the country, not just uh, not just locally, before we get to Lavelle. I thought the most interesting one was Greg Popovich, Spurs coach. Very outspoken, not afraid to uh, get political, which is great. I think it's great uh, when, when a coach feels that he's had a long enough tenure, he's been there a long enough time, he's just going to say what he thinks, what he means um, anytime a situation like this comes up which unfortunately is way too often. These coaches are having to answer these questions a lot these days. Popovich went in a long, long discussion of, you know, gun control of, you know, people in charge right now. I won't get into all that. He did not have kind words for the governor of Texas, but the end of it was probably the most interesting part because it kind of hit home with the NBA. It said, Popovich said, how many young black kids have to be killed for no reason? How many so that we can empower the police units? We need to find out who funds these people. I want to know what owners in the NBA fund these people who perpetrate these lies. Maybe that's a good place to start so it's all transparent. Aaron Hicks, Yankees outfielder. Used to play for the Twins, of course, for the ill-fated trade for John Ryan Murphy. Sat out. Monday's game. This hurts him too much. Minneapolis used to be his home. Uh, Yankees manager Aaron Boone explaining with all that's going on in Minneapolis, he's having a tough time right now. Had a conversation in my office and he just felt like it was best to not be in the starting lineup tonight. And I certainly support that and we'll try and rally around him the best we can. Obviously, the situation is heartbreaking right now in Minneapolis and I think it hit Aaron particularly hard. Here's a tweet from John Thomas. Timberwolves and Lynx, Vice President of Basketball Development, also former Gopher, obviously, from here, says, Our community is feeling a familiar pain again today. I'm honestly struggling as I vacillate between my own emotions and thinking about the family and friends of those who lost loved ones. I can only imagine what they must feel. A wise man once said, Our systems aren't broken. They're doing exactly as they were intended to do. Until we care enough for a stranger like we would our own family or friend, R.I.P. Thoughts and Prayers will grace our timelines as more senseless tragedies unfold. You know, I'm kind of reminded right now of the quote from Sean Doolittle, Nationals pitcher last summer, when, you know, they were returning to play after the long COVID pause, but it was still the midst of the pandemic. And he said, sports are like the reward for a functioning society. Um, and that was, it just stuck with me quite a bit because it feels apt in a lot of situations. I'm glad there weren't sports here on Monday. A one-day pause, if it turns out to be that, a two-day pause isn't going to solve 
everything or you know much of anything. You know, we're not going to solve much of anything on a 30-minute podcast right now, but we can't just brush past things like this and pretend that we have a society that's functioning the way it should because obviously when something like this happens with Dante Wright, society is not functioning in the way that it should. We will talk some, you know, some straight up sports a little bit later in this podcast. Dave Thorson, new Gophers men's basketball coach, will join me to talk about him taking that job, him working for Ben Johnson, a former player of his at De La Salle, and how they can help recruit in the state of Minnesota together. I'll also get to a ridiculous new movie that I heard about, about uh, Sean Payton connected to Bounty Gate. Really uh, can't believe this movie is being made. But at first, I want to bring in Lavelle Neal III for a further discussion of, of what I talked about at the outset, just where we are right now, the cancellations of these games on Monday, and some of Lavelle's bigger picture thoughts on, on where we are headed in 2021. Joined right now by Lavelle Enil III, columnist for the Star Tribune, column in Tuesday's paper and on startribune.com, um, postponed games on Monday in the Twin Cities, Wolves, Wild, and Twins, all postponing games after the police shooting of Dante Wright. Lavelle, um, maybe right, right off the bat here, tell me a little bit about what you wrote and why you wrote what uh, the direction you went with what you wrote. Yeah, I thought it was interesting just to see how the whole thought process came about with the with the twins and a little bit with the Wild and the Wolves as well. So I kind of looked into that a little bit. You know, there was dialogue among the, the three organizations uh, Monday morning uh, about how to proceed. And the, the number one thing, you know, the twins pointed out to me was that it was out of respect for the Wright family uh, to give them a chance to grieve and, and to kind of deal with their with their loss on top of everything. And then secondly. Uh, safety issues with, you know, the players, the staff, and fans uh, at, at, at Target Field was put into consideration before they made the decision. So I think they were kind of sharing their thoughts with the other two uh, teams that had events Monday night, and um, they arrived at the conclusion that they thought it would be in the best interest of everyone uh, if they don't play on Monday. And it sounds like the Tuesday's game could be uh, postponed as well, although they haven't made a final decision on that either. So, um so we'll we'll see. Um, I I'm not surprised, you know, knowing how serious the twins have been about um, supporting social justice and donating 25 million dollars to support uh, social racial justice. Um, its actions are backing up the words. Unfortunately, they you know have a playbook for this after what happened last summer, like you said. So these teams have kind of, you know, they they know kind of how they're how their players have reacted and responded in these moments. Um, what did, you know, you covered the twins last year, much different season, obviously, um, you know, how much do you think that, you know, how much do you think that the team and all these teams learned last year and how much has that whole conversation, at least from a team standpoint changed in, you know, in the last 18 months? Well, I, I, I think the, the conclusion they arrived to today, I'm sure it was supported by the players because they had a lot of difficult conversations last year when everything was going on um, in the wake of the George Floyd incident with Derek Chauvin and um, the shutdown and the coronavirus and everything. You had them, they had nothing to do but to talk to each other and exchange ideas. And I think that probably prepared them to uh, make a level, uh, a clear-headed decision in, in this case. Um, you know, like I think Jake Cave spoke to the media today and basically said that, you know, that uh, there's, bigger things out there than them and they understand that 
and this is the time to kind of support uh, a family who's lost their lost their son. So I don't think we would have seen this from teams and leagues two or three years ago necessarily. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying um, the teams were not you know that they were uncaring two or three years ago, but I feel like they have come to a different place now, and I think it's good. Um, I'm, I'm glad they're, that they're in this place. I don't wish we were having this conversation right now, obviously because of what it means. But what do you think, just in the in the bigger picture of how teams have have changed in that respect? How do you think that that is reflective of of what's going on right now? Uh, I think it's I think a lot of it's just because of the moment what we're dealing with as a country right now, and um, you know the George Floyd situation end up being a, being watched worldwide. I mean, there's worldwide protests in honor of Floyd and sports teams across the world are taking a knee. I mean, the EPL is still taking a knee before they kick off their soccer games. Um, and also, you have to remember, too, we, we have a little bit of history of this because when 9-11 happened, uh, Bud Selig made the decision to, to uh, postpone baseball games, which I think threw the NFL off. They weren't expecting that to happen. So the NFL ended up postponing their games that weekend as well. So it's been, it's been done before. People have used sports as vehicle for change in all kinds of areas, and this is just another way. Um, and once again, when you think about safety and what's been going on, what went on last summer in this town and what happened last uh, Sunday night, Monday morning in this town, the smart move probably was to not have a bunch of people gather uh, at a downtown venue uh, and have a sporting event. On a personal level, Lavelle, how are you? I know, you know, you, you, we talked a little bit before we started recording here. We're recording on Monday late afternoon. You said you were up pretty late. You're watching all the all that's happening on Twitter, watching, you know, live streams, things like that. I just want to acknowledge how are you and, and what, you know, what has been the process for you at this point? Well, you know, you always worried about your friends and people, you know, that live in Minneapolis and live in the city and make sure. They're squared away. I mean, that's one reason. But yeah, I monitored uh, developments uh, on the Crime Watch uh, Twitter feed until 4 a.m. You know, this morning, um, and there were a lot, and it was starting to spread. I mean, I was hearing things out of North Minneapolis, things on Lake Street, South Minneapolis, um, even University Avenue in St. Paul. Apparently, there was something that popped up on 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 the thread there. So that was definitely it was disheartening and troubling because I thought we were going to go through everything we went through again last summer. Uh, in the wake of the George Floyd death. Um, and then today I drove around the Lake Street area. I kind of watched a couple and kind of saw a couple spots that popped up on the on the uh, police feed last night that had been broken into and, and looted. And, you know, I'm just shaking my head going, these are people who are taking opportunity of a tragedy, you know? And I don't know where we are as a society where that 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 many people can feel that 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 way about how to treat treat a uh, a situation like that. So um, you can only hope that uh, that we find a way to to stop this and stop uh, having people believe that uh, a peaceful protest can turn into violence in a second, because that's not the way it's supposed to work. Lavelle, obviously, people at home can't see us right now. I'm a white male. You are a black man. You talked to a lot of Twins players and other athletes in the last year, I'm sure, who are athletes of color, people of color. They probably interact with police a lot differently than I do. Um, I don't know if, if you've had what your experience or personal experience is. I don't even necessarily, you know, I, I worry when I bring up something like that because I, I feel like it's important to hear from people who do not look like myself, who are not white, but I also don't want to 
traumatized or re-traumatized in any way. But as you talked to athletes and maybe even your own personal experience about interactions, what is this more front brain for a lot of athletes than I just the general listener out there might realize that they worry that these interactions with police might become really dangerous really fast. Yeah, I think it's different. I think it's different for different uh, people based on backgrounds. You got some guys are from the suburbs. You got some guys from the city. Uh, some guys aren't from this country. So they all grown up with different experiences with the police and, and trying to uh, figure out how a way to deal with them accordingly. Um, I got pulled over once because I had my press pass hanging down from the mirror of my car, <laughs> in a review mirror. And I was told that it was illegal. And then I was like, do you know how many years I've been driving with this hanging down from my rearview mirror? And so I apologize. And now I don't do it anymore. And it did not lead to anything. Uh, in the back of your mind, you always worry that if you're going to get jacked up for something that you, you know, you didn't do, but um, you just, you still, I'm sorry. I mean, I was taught by my parents to treat people the way you want to be treated and you can't go wrong that way. And I think that if for our society, for us to move forward, we have to get back to some of that, you know, and I think, you know, players, also want you know players know that people look up to them and they are role models and their behavior matters and the things they do and the interactions they have with other people are going to be watched and and, and scrutinized by their fans and and people who aren't their fans so you know they know if they get in a situation when they encounter a, a, a police officer or someone in authority you know that that their words are going to going to be uh, uh, combed over three four five times so I, I think they understand their place in society. And they understand the responsibility they have as a professional athlete and how they carry themselves. Even if they think uh, it may be racially motivated, you know, uh, uh, you know swinging at a cop or getting in an altercation is just going to be uh, a, a career killer. So I think they understand that. Um, I, to be honest with you, I've never really had too many conversations with players through the years about dealings with cops. You know, a couple of guys that come from bad neighborhoods and they've seen violence, you know, but in terms of, uh, uh, dealing with the things that uh, we're dealing with as a society today, I don't think a lot of them have. Last thing for you, Lavelle, really appreciate this. Any you know bigger picture takeaways from what you're writing? Do you think? I mean, where 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 are we going with uh, where are we going for the rest of uh, 2021 and beyond? Well, I think the events of Monday night and this morning is going to be a shock. I'm sorry, Sunday night and Monday. It's probably a shock to our system because now we're on flashbacks to a year ago. So I think it's going to be. I think there's going to be. Uh, another impassioned plea to, you know, suppress the violence and support peaceful protest and, and, and let, and, and just find a level of respect for people in authority. And we just have to, we just have to just take a step back and take a deep breath and, and, and gives people a chance to be your friend and give people a chance to, to, to treat you with respect, as you treat them with respect. And we'll be better as, as a society for it. And I think I'm pretty sure you'll probably have the twins once they start playing again. They'll probably make a statement to that to that extent. Lavelle Neal, thank you so much. Read Lavelle's column Tuesday, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Lavelle, thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. Thanks, Mike. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined on the show today by Dave Thorson, new Gophers men's basketball assistant coach. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Mike, what's up, man? Not much. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I 
and I'm excited. Whirlwind, huh? Uh, yeah, it, it is. It is, you know, um, but exciting too. Yeah. Uh, being with Ben, um, and you know, over the years, seeing him grow as a leader, um, and, and having an understanding of, of, you know, what he wants to do. Um, are you kidding me? Uh, it, this is a, it's, it's a stars, stars coming together situation for me to be able to work with him and to come back to the university of Minnesota, which is a place that's so special in my heart, uh, in home, um, is powerful, powerful. Obviously you, you coached Ben. So I, this is, you know, a different dynamic now, I guess, a couple of questions along that line. One, you know, did you, when you coached him, did you see, you know, I'm sure it's hard to see in a 17 year old, exactly what their path is going to be, but did you see him being someone who is at least going to be a, a leader in adulthood, if not necessarily a, a head coach of a big 10 basketball team? You know, you can never predict um, what's going to happen 30 years down the road, but there are a couple of things that, that always stood out to me um, with Ben. One, one is his, his poise, you know, as, as a player and how he carried himself in adverse situations. You know, he never, you never saw him sweat. You never saw him. He was so calm. He was so cool, so collected. Um, you know, that that's always stood out about Ben. But the second thing is the way that he works with people um, in, in terms of being a communicator um, and, and someone that I, I think inspires others, you know, by by how he conducts himself, how he leads. Um, you know, I was, I was always struck by that as well. And, you know, over the years, I'm so blessed, um, you know, to have guys um like Ben, uh, but he really, you know, he was, he was one of the first ones that kind of set the tone actually for the program. And so, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't say that I'm, I'm surprised um, that, that he was going to have the success that he's had because I thought that was going to happen, but for it to align here at the university of Minnesota, I mean, how awesome. How does it, how does it feel for you to be an assistant coach under a former player now, just the, the power dynamic changing there a little bit? You know, he and I talked so much over the years that and I have a great sense of, of, you know, what he believes in from a basketball perspective. And, you know, have I had something to do with that? Probably. Um, but by the same token, you know, he, he's got he, his experiences have been so vast um, in college basketball that, um, you know, he's helped me, to be honest. And, you know, we're, we're both guys that talk basketball 24 seven. If you, if you saw both of us play golf, for example, you'd know that we don't, <laughs> we're not out there doing that. Um, you know, I mean, we talk basketball, we watch basketball. And so during the co college basketball season, we were comparing, comparing notes and, you know, what's going well for your team and how can I do this better? And then during the pro basketball season, you know, even in the uh, COVID era in terms of um, watching games um, and talking about what's going on. So, you know, I, I just, I just believe in, in who he is as a person. Um, and I have a great understanding of, of what he wants to do from a basketball perspective. And again, it, it just things lined up that way. He definitely struck me as a kind of a basketball lifer. When I had him on the podcast a few weeks ago after he got hired, he, I was like, so what do you do outside of basketball? He's like, well, I have a dog. But really, like beyond that, he's like basketball, basketball, basketball. Not like he's not like he can't step away from it, but he is very seemed very to me focused on making this the best possible opportunity he can make it. I think he's a true student of the game. Um and <clears throat> you know, in terms of of watching the game and whether it be college pro 
European basketball. He's a student of the game, and, and that, that's how he's developed his his. That's why his acumen's at such a high a high level. Is that that's you know that's what he puts his his time into, and, and it's obvious. You know, when you talk to him, you know, he might talk about screen and roll defense, for example, which some people would go what, but that's what we talk about. Um, you know, he's got, you know, all these different areas, you know, he's got a great sense of what he wants to do. So I don't, I'm fired up. I'm so fired up to be a part of the staff. Around here, obviously people like we talked about at the outset here, know you a little bit better as the De La Salle coach. So many, so much success there, nine state titles. You were there uh, 23 years, if I'm not mistaken. So your, That's right. your career at De La Salle spanned Clem Haskins, who you were an assistant for at the U, and also Dan Munson, Tubby Smith, and Richard Patino. You were there for all of those coaches to his, for, for at least part of those 10 years. What how would you say you know, a lot has been a lot has been made about how Ben Johnson can improve or enhance in-state relationships with coaches? How when you were a high school coach, what did you see along that landscape? And how, how do you think Ben and, and with your help in some cases can kind of help move the move that needle a little further in the in the right direction if it needs to go there? I, I think there's a great sense with Ben and I um, when we walk into a high school gym. Um, I think there's already a great sense of who we are as people. Um, and that, that's hard, hard to do. Um, you know, when you're not from here, for example, and you, you haven't had experiences and, uh, your journey, you know, hasn't been here. And, and so I, I think that's the, the biggest difference is that, um, you've got a gopher head coach who, who knows what Minnesota basketball is all about because they were part of it. They were part of that that history. And, and so I'd say that that's an advantage that uh, both he and I bring to the table and we've got to connect with that. This program is going to be successful because it represents what Minnesota represents, you know, hardworking uh, people uh, focused on selfless. You know, I, I could go on and on about, you know, Minnesota people. And that's, that's what this, this, that's what this program needs to represent. And the score, if we do that, the scoreboard will take care of itself. A couple more things for you. Really appreciate your time today, Dave. Um, again, during you know the span of your coaching career, the talent in this state it's been it's been good at various points. But I feel like the last five ten years we have seen an explosion of you know not just the very highest end, but also you know just really solid college players. And we're seeing it even showing up now in the NBA draft to a certain degree. What, what do you attribute that to? And how again, how can you tap into that a little bit more now that you are, you know, helping to recruit those players to Minnesota? Well, I, I, I know a local newspaper actually that did a great article about this baby. Oh gosh, what three or four years ago? Huh. Um, was it Chip or you both you and Chip? I can't remember, but you know, one of the things I think that that happened going back all the way to the uh, late 1980s and early 1990s is that you saw a transformation with. Um, I think really good summer basketball opportunities. And I think it first started with camps. Um, and then, and then what you saw, you saw it evolve into, cause I can remember when there was a AAU team or a couple AAU teams. And now uh, we could, we could go over to Hopkins or one of these uh, high school facilities and see, you know, literally hundreds of teams playing at different levels. And so 
basketball has evolved in Minnesota from a participation perspective and it's it, and it's gone down to the the you know second grade third grade and the opportunity for kids to play just is so much greater than it was when I was first here so I think that's a big part of the number of players um, the second thing is that I know this uh, because I've in the last five years I've recruited all over the country um, coaching and educators in Minnesota they're top notch I mean they are top notch um, and so I think that's the second thing that you've seen just, a, a, you know, an, an enhancement in a way that I think also has impacted the number of, of players, um, you know, uh, being college level um, athletes. Good stuff. Last one, you, your career path took you from the college ranks, you know, under, under Clem Haskins, then like we talked about a long time at De La Salle, then back to college with, you know, Colorado State and now back to Minnesota. How maybe describe your your career path and just what brought you back to the college game at this at this stage in your career? Well, you know, I, I had a marvelous experience at, at, at De La Salle and worked with so many great people, uh, both young people and and colleagues. Um uh, and yet I, I got to the point that I felt like I had some unfinished business. And at the time when I, when I went back to De La Salle, it was, it was the right thing for me personally. Um, um, but, but over the course of time, I always, you know, I'd watch a college basketball game, for example, and, and I'd, I, I'd wonder what if. And so I got to the point where um, what if started to nag me a little bit. Um, and, and God bless uh, Rita and Ella Ray, that they were willing to go on this journey and make a few moves and, and that, but it's, it's been so rewarding, uh, so rewarding for me and, and to work with, you know, great, great kids all over the place. So I'm blessed um, as a coach, as an educator to have worked with the kinds of people that I have and to continue it uh, um, at the university of Minnesota with Ben Johnson. Awesome. Awesome for me. Not bad. Appreciate it, Dave. Uh, best of luck. All right. Great catching up with you. And I'm sure we'll, we'll chat more down the road. All right. Mike, thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. I always love talking to Dave. Um, knew him back in the day when, you know, I was covering a lot more high school sports and he was the head coach at De La Salle. Um, always been a really good, you know, really good accessible coach and, you know, obviously a really good coach with nine state titles. So I'm interested to see and excited to see what he can bring to the Gophers program under Ben Johnson. Let's end with the cooler. Did you guys see this absolute nonsense? Making a new Netflix special movie um, called The Home Team. It's about Saints coach Sean Payton, who will be portrayed by Kevin James, which is kind of funny in and of itself, but um, you know it's an Adam Sandler production. Um, what could possibly be a movie about Sean Payton, you guys? I, I I'm just I'm flabbergasted by this. Uh, P- Peter King reported this. It's going to be based on basically how he served as an assistant coach for his son's sixth grade football team after he was suspended in the 2012 season from coaching in the NFL because of the Bounty Gate scandal. Like, are you kidding me? A a heartwarming story about Bounty Gate is basically what this is. I know know it's about him coaching this, you know, the sixth grade team, this NFL coach going to coach a sixth grade team. But if you were Sean Payton, wouldn't you just kind of, you know, who signed off on this, apparently, who signed off on all the, you know, all the, all the, 
everything that's going on with this, wouldn't you just want to kind of lay low when it comes to Bounty Gate? Would you really want to call attention to everything that happened with that scandal again, especially the 2009 NFC title game where they deliberately injured Brett Favre and kept the Vikings from going to the Super Bowl? I don't know. Maybe I would just want to lay low and not make a heartwarming movie for Netflix about it. I know that's one movie I will definitely not be seeing. That'll do it for today. Sarah McClellan's going to join me on Wednesday's show. Help me break down the wild and the trade deadline. They didn't do much. Didn't do much of anything at all, but they got a bunch of players back recently, including Marcus Foligno, expected to play on Wednesday for the first time in quite a while. So look for that. Thanks for joining me here today. Read me, Start Tribune, starttribune.com. Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll see you again on Wednesday.